Blessed Sunday, Middle Church. We're so glad that you all have uh, come and joined us here on this holiday uh, Sunday. Um, to be honest, it's been a very hard week for me and I imagine for you as well. And so um, if you'll breathe with me today, uh, remembering people who just wanted to go to the grocery store in Buffalo, remembering a Taiwanese community that just wanted to have church, remembering kids who were counting down the days to summer. So let's take three breaths together in this community for those that we're holding in the communities um, who are in deep mourning right now um, in the throes of the aftermath of gun violence. Come, let us worship God. And so the bulletin. Uh, we are still in Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month, and we're paying particular attention to the music this Sunday, and it has a particular feel, and I think it will hold us in this moment uh, for all the things that Natalie said, and just be a moment together to experience the holy uh, is a really special thing right now. So we're gonna invite you to stand as you're able and our Ensemble Rising Sun is gonna help you to uh, sing the song with us. We're gonna play it once for you and then uh, we're gonna have you sing with us. Good morning, Middle. It's time for the message for all ages, and I'm Alicia Borba-Kaleiko. And for today's message for all ages, 
I am asking you, does anyone know what this is or who this is? And since we don't have any kiddos, we can ask the kiddos at heart in the audience. Does anyone know who this is? No? So, this is Santo Nino, and in Philippines, that means this is baby Jesus. So, what does anyone see about Santo Nino or this baby Jesus? Anything at all? A crown? Yeah. Anything else? A green cape? Yep. Jewelry, yep. Anything else? Yeah, he's on a pedestal. Gold, yeah. And kiddos at home, if you see it. So, I wanted to share Santo Nino with you today because he is very special to me. This was a gift from my dad when he visited the Philippines a couple of years ago. A few years ago, because a couple of years ago, the pandemic started. He didn't go then. Um, but it's a fascination combination of things because it shows the history of colonization in the Philippines. So you see that baby Jesus is wearing a crown and there were no kingdoms in the Philippines. It was a series of independent islands with all different sorts of culture. It wasn't until Spain came in, which was a monarchy, a kingdom, that took over the Philippines. It's also in gold. The Philippines is known for having a lot of gold mines. That's why the Spanish and the United States was very interested in occupying and colonizing the Philippines. It's on a pedestal, again, uh, with the monarchy. And this baby Jesus has brown skin. And it's frequent that Santo Nino is portrayed with light skin because when you're colonized and when you are led by people of fair skin, white folks, they depict Jesus as having light skin. So you don't see yourself. You don't see you. And my dad, with his beautiful heart, got one where I could see myself. Mm. So, friends, I wanted to talk about Santa Nino today because, one, it's important to learn about difficult things like colonization. It's important to learn that it's not a faraway thing like it is for the Philippines, where it's like 400 years ago with Spain. It's happening now. It's happening in Palestine, as we are speaking. And it's happening in places like Buffalo, and in Texas, in this country. And it's important to learn about your culture, the histories of your culture, and how you can learn from them to do better, to treat others well, how you can connect to your ancestors and to your family, and just how to love yourself a little more. So, my friends at home, today I ask you that you ask your adult one thing about your culture that maybe you don't know, so that you can feel a little more connected to yourself, to your family, and to your culture and ancestors. Now, let's sing See Ya Humba to celebrate this beautiful Sunday. seen that before and it sounds like a bunch of you were it's new for you as well um, let's get into middle rising how can we rise um, into community right now well as you know next week we'll begin pride month and on our website um, you'll see the URL there um, you'll find all of our pride events um, the whole calendar everything that's offered but we want to particularly highlight um, a queer roundtable that's coming up 
Speak Up and Stand Out on June 12th. Um, a beautiful collaboration with Middle Out Loud and Queer Black Men. And you can visit, again, that same URL, which is middlechurch.org backslash pride, for more on this and for all of our other offerings this month. And also, um, save the date for our Freedom Summer. Um, Freedom School is coming back, you all. Um, schools for children and youth. Our team is excited to offer a rich curriculum and a series of field trips to strengthen your young people's muscles and to be anti-racist and engage with each other and our community. So save the dates now. And if you want more information, Elise is happy to offer that. Um, I think that is all for today, but I do want to also put another plug. Anytime I'm going to stand up here, y'all, to do announcements, you can imagine that I'm going to say, please sign up for small groups. Um, please sign up to usher online, in person, for the choir. Um, this movement really does happen because you make it happen. Um, you may have already noticed there's a job description on the website, um, so we're looking for a new minister. It takes all of us. And so we're grateful for those of you who are willing to give in the ways that you do. And we ask if you have the space and time in your schedule, please consider doing so. Um, and now we'll do the prayers of the people brought to us. Family, keep in mind each other as you pray this week, um, as you hold the world in all of 
its pain and sorrow, know that those who are sitting in the pews with you and online with us also have their own things that they're holding, right, and their own struggles. So please hold your community. And now let us pray the prayer that Jesus uh, taught his disciples to pray in whatever language you know, whatever version you know. Ever-loving and holy God, hallowed be your name. Your reign come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. To yours is the reign, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Peace be with you, middle family. Invite you to pass the peace at this moment. Peace to our online viewers as well. Pass the peace in the chat. And if you're in this space, feel free, and we invite you to stand up. Um, stay where you are, but stand up and pass the peace with each other.
Good morning, Middle. Good morning. And uh, I'm Jocelyn Liu, and welcome to the final Sunday of Asian American Pacific Islander Heritage Month here at Middle. The scripture reading for today is as it was last Sunday from the book of Revelation, chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. Listen for the blaze of light in these words. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. On either side of the river is the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit each month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Nothing accursed be found there anymore, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and there will be no more night. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. When I was growing up in the 60s and 70s and thought about the book of Revelation, I thought those seven seals and the horsemen of the apocalypse and that lamb with the seven eyes and the seven horns 
were pretty trippy and cool. Jackie has critiqued the craziness of this text, but uh, there's something in it for us to see. As she said, the apocalypse, the word apocalypse, is from the Koine Greek apocalypsis, unveiling or revelation. The vision unveiled, she preached last Sunday, is a second chance at a peaceable kingdom, Eden turned into a holy city in which each of us are healed and nourished in the ways we need to be, drinking the clear water of life springing from a rescued earth. Violence and enmity have dissolved into peace because the light of and love of God are in each of us. Read this way, we can see in this scripture the promise of liberation and of possibility, the promise to repair what's broken, to restore what needs restoring. To talk about repair, we first need to keep and keep on talking about brokenness, what's broken in each of us. Last week, Jackie preached about the complex trauma of being black in the US, a trauma exacerbated by COVID and violence. Joining her, Gloria Moy preached about the trauma of xenophobia and of drinking the Kool-Aid of racism that can turn black and AAPI communities against one another. I want to talk with you today about how I've been traumatized, yes, but I also want to talk about what my lived experience growing up in the U.S. has revealed to me. At the University of Chicago, my white mother, Carolyn, fell in love with my Chinese-American father, Noble. An interracial marriage, like my parents, was technically illegal at the time, and who knows, it might be illegal again soon. It was certainly transgressive, especially since it was my father, not my mother, who was the Asian American. That she wasn't an Asian war bride shocked a lot of the grown-ups around me, I noticed. Their smiles drooped. They didn't know what to say. My brother Kenny and I have often been misinterpreted and misnamed, racially speaking. Sometimes people get us right, but especially when we were kids and young adults, they mostly didn't. Depending on where we were at the time, we might be called Puerto Rican, Italian, Mexican, Filipino, Puebloan, Dine or Navajo, or the summer I worked in Alaska, Clinkett. My brother and I were often mistaken for whatever prevailing group of beige-skinned, straight, dark-haired, brown-eyed people happened to be around. On the mainland U.S. in the 60s and 70s and 80s, I also suspect that some folks may have been troubled, may have had trouble recognizing us for who we are, because if they did, they would have to see and acknowledge the border-crossing love that we embodied. We were mixed race, which people weren't supposed to be. Here's a story from my childhood in Murray Hill. This is a neighborhood near Flushing, Queens. Back when I was growing up, Murray Hill was fairly diverse. My brother and I, to our great delight, uh, learned the bad words in German, Yiddish, Tagalog, Japanese, Italian, Spanish, Haitian Creole, and much more. Murray Hill was safe and quiet, meaning that starting from when we were about seven years old, we were allowed to walk without grown-ups from our apartment on Sanford Avenue to the candy store about three blocks away. For my weekly allowance of one quarter, I could buy a comic book and, depending on the season, a candied apple, an Italian ice, or a candy bar. I usually walked with a friend, but sometimes I walked alone. On the day I want to talk about, I was alone. 
I think I was seven or eight, which means I'd have stood at around four feet tall, had a page boy haircut, and likely have been wearing black Mary Janes, a jumper, and a white blouse with a Peter Pan collar. I was probably feeling proud and a little scared to be on my own. After I looked both ways, crossed the first street and stepped back onto the sidewalk, I realized that my path was being blocked. Standing in front of me was a white man. He looked old to me, which meant that he would have been at least in his 20s or 30s. <laughs> he didn't move to let me pass the way people were supposed to do. Instead, he looked straight at me. He looked confused, then his confusion hardened into certainty, and his certainty into hatred. I can still see his eyes bright with hatred. It was the first time I remember being stared at by an adult with hatred. I didn't know what to do, so I froze. The man spat on the ground at my feet. Jew he said, then walked around me and walked away. What I learned and have kept learning from this and encounters like it is that white supremacist ideology and action hurts people. It hurts and it keeps hurting me. It's scarred and keeps scarring me. It made the man who spat at and terrified a little girl into a monster. It made no real sense. It makes no real sense. Any sense it does make is according to its own shape-shifting hermeneutic. I think that to the spitting man, I wasn't white. European Jewish people weren't white either until sometime in the last century, they became white. I don't mean to suggest here that the sin of anti-Semitism isn't alive and well and on the rise. It certainly is. What I do mean to say is that white supremacist ideology is always morphing. Like hydra heads, it keeps coming back stronger and more twisted than ever. Often, thinking about this, I feel hopeless. The beast that is white supremacism, is as old as the modern era. It's strong, violent, hateful, and insidious. It powered the theology that said it was okay to seize non-Christian people's lands and dark bodies in the name of God and the crown. It's continued to grow. Today, it's the ideology that fuels mass shootings and the state-sanctioned murders of black people. It's the ideology behind the murders of AAPI people. It's the ideology that closes borders to black and brown people, children among them, and allows them to die in the desert and at sea. It's the ideology that locks black people up and locks them out and does everything it can to deprive them of health and wealth and thriving. And it's the ideology that loves death-dealing, stand-your-ground assault rifles more than children's lives. It's also the ideology that says to AAPI communities, your family may have been in this country longer than mine, but you'll never be American even if you do buy into the white invented myth of the model minority and try to jump caste into whiteness and oppress or objectify people darker than you. It's the ideology also that spreads the false rumor, false rumor that AAPI folks are economically poor, um, or economically well off, sorry, which means that if you're AAPI and poor, you're invisible. It's the ideology that can't stand my white mother's treachery and the existence of mixed people like my brother and me. White supremacism is also embedded in every microaggression, every hurt that's inflicted on us and in the ones we inflict on each other. 
um, because even in this beautiful community, people, because we've been wounded by the beast and wounded people can wound other people. It's an ideology, what I'm trying to say here, that's inside of all of us, no matter what skin we're in. It's mine and it's yours. It's ours and we have to own that and deal with it. It's our original sin. How do we cleanse ourselves of this sin? How do we heal from these deep wounds? Back to the scripture. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. The leaves are for the healing of the nations. The scripture doesn't say that the leaves of the tree heal the nations all by themselves. It says that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. In other words, we the people, the people of the city of God, um, we have to do something with those leaves. What can we do? Can we see in the scripture an invitation to write a new story, a story of us? Can a radical collective act of truth-filled storytelling grounded in love help heal the nations. The cover of an early edition of Walt Whitman's American Book of Revelation, Leaves of Grass, was made of woven blades of actual grass. In it, the poet describes a mystical experience he has while lying in a grassy field. Here's Whitman. Swiftly arose and spread around me the peace and knowledge that pass all argument of the earth, and I know that the hand of God is the promise of my own, and I know that the spirit of God is the brother of my own, and that all men ever born are also my brothers, and the women are my sisters and lovers. Love, the poet writes, is revealed as the kelson of the creation. That is, love is the center line board um, uh, or the kelson or kelson uh, that keeps the ship of creation together. Without love, everything would fall apart in the first strong wave. So, uh, middle people, what if on each leaf of the tree of life we were to write our stories our traumas, our blood, our truths about the beast of white supremacy that wounds us all? What if we wrote too about how much stronger we who fiercely love are than that beast? By writing here, to be clear, I don't just mean the written word. Um, we have many ways to write our stories in beautiful song, as we just heard, in dance, in theater, in art and film, in talking story and in our very bodies when we take to the streets and march. What if, middle, we were to write our stories and weave the leaves together? What if each of our stories were a blade of sweet grass that when we braid them and weave them do not break as individual blades of grass tend to do? What if our woven leaves of grass formed a strong, fragrant bowl into which we might pour the new wine we're making in this holy experiment called Middle Church? Is this what healing can look like? Is this what hope can look like? Can our woven leaves of love, fierce love, love in action, the love that drives out hatred, be the healing of nations? May it be so. Amen. Hi, Middle. I'm Victoria Tucci. And I'm Jason McAdam. Um, we've been attending middle for the past six years. Um, our first time there was uh, an Easter service that our sisters-in-law invited us to. Um, I was feeling really nervous the first time we went to middle because I had heard so many implicit and explicit condemnations of queerness um, for ch from church growing up um, that I was worried walking in that I would hear those same messages. 
um, but the exact opposite happened at Middle. At Middle, we found a faith community that doesn't just begrudgingly tolerate and accept us for who we are, but enthusiastically and unconditionally um, supports and celebrates and accepts uh, how and who we love. Um, and I just can't believe that such an amazing place exists. I'm pretty sure I cried like at least every service for the first six months that we went to because I just couldn't believe that there was a faith community um, that exists like Middle that's so aligned with our values and truly, truly does accept and welcome everyone. Um, at Middle, we've developed relationships and uh, formed friendships by participating in small groups like Middle Out Loud and the Young Adults Group. Um, adult education classes, particularly the anti-racism work Middle does, has had a profound impact on our lives. At Middle, we are, in we are held in fierce love while being challenged and inspired to interrogate our place in the world and take action to foster change in our everyday lives. Uh, there truly is no place like Middle Church. This global community is doing work on the ground every day to help heal our world with fierce love. And it takes all types of people to make a movement happen. And there is room for everyone. We need everyone um, and, all of your, and all of your unique gifts um, to make this movement happen. Um, so there are countless ways to contribute to this movement of love and justice. A, a few ways that we've been involved at Middle is doing outreach to, parish to our parish communities, attending protests and rallies, and we make a weekly financial contribution to Middle. Um, Middle Church is powered by you and it takes money to fuel the movement. If you're able, you can donate at middle, at, to Middle at middlechurch.org slash donate, or you can scan the QR code on your screen to make a donation through Venmo. We each have our own unique gifts to bring to this community, and it will take all of us to be uh, all of us to be the hands, feet, and heart of this movement of fierce love and justice. We'd love to have you join us by becoming a member of Middle. You can join us by going to middlechurch.org/join. Thank you, Middle. We, we love, love you. you. Now 
Thank you for your gifts of money to make this ministry happen. Thank you for your gifts of storytelling. Thank you for your gifts of leading a church. Thank you for your gifts of making music. Thank you for your gifts of making us literally heard. Thank you for your gifts of making us feel loved. And thank you for being exactly as God created you. Thank you for being a congregation in which every young person knows that they are loved exactly as they are, exactly as they will be. I'm really so honored to say that I get to be in all of your lives, so thank you. And now, wherever you are in the virtual world or if you're in the pews, let us sing together and dance together for our final hymn. Amen. Amen. So my friends, if we would stand uh, as you are able, I want to invite you into this last song. Um, kind of like a prayer as we go out today. Uh, I want to thank uh, Kaede for organizing the music with Rising Sun. In Spanish, we say es un montón de trabajo. It is a mountain of work to actually do all of that and make it happen. And our volunteers who are with her to do it as well, we're just so thankful.
Thank you again, Kaede, and all of you for this very unique musical experience we've had this morning. We're so grateful. Uh, receive now these words of benediction. The leaves are for the healing of the nation. And so Jocelyn asks, what will we do with them? May we weave our stories together. The story of the siblings sitting next to you, the story of those who are online. May we weave those stories together that we may pour into it the love and justice we wish to see in this world. And may that guide our path. Amen. Amen.